On Wednesday, September 29th, the Franklin Pierce Center for Intellectual Property presented On the Issues Epic v. Apple. Professor Bill Murphy and IP Center Director Mickey Minhouse discussed the ins and outs of the Epic v. Apple trial, examining the legal arguments and implications of mobile platforms, app monopolies, and modern antitrust law. This is a recording of that event. This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply a law to unh.edu. Opinions discussed are sold the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Welcome, everyone, and uh, thanks for attending both online as well as in person. We wanted to talk a little bit about Apple and, and Epic, and in partic- uh, particularly that case. But I thought it might be helpful to give you a little bit of just background on some of Apple's legal issues outside of the Epic trial. We'll dive into the Epic one, but and, and in particular, um, the antitrust implications here in the United States. But I wanted to point out that um, there are antitrust inquiries into Apple's business practices around the world. And I was just reading this morning that the KFTC, the Korean Free Trade Commission, um, has an order against Apple and Google about opening its app stores and not mandating in-app purchases and to submit a compliance document in the next month. That just came out this morning. And so these sorts of issues are happening for for Apple all around the world. Apple is on the other end, and uh, you'll hear some of the arguments that Apple's making in the Epic case. Apple's in a patent infringement suit against a company called Optus in the UK and is threatening to leave the UK market if, uh, if rates are set along standards essential patents uh, that the UK court may set worldwide. I, what I'll see as a bit of a contrast is I think the arguments that Apple's making in the UK court are contrary to the arguments that Apple's making in, in the Epic trial. So we'll, now we'll, we'll talk about Epic uh, more specifically, then we can circle back around again on you know, the consistency of those arguments around. But um, let me hand it over to Bill and we'll okay, start and there I'll on, try to on get Apple this. Epic. Let me uh, just start with something. Those of you taking copyright, this, this has nothing with antitrust, but this, this little video is what sort of kicked off the battle between Epic and Apple. And this is a parody of a very famous Apple ad in 1984 when they were challenging Microsoft's um, uh, position as the dominant OS manufacturer. So you might think, okay, you're you're the the lawyer for uh, Epic and they say, we're gonna show this thing. Clearly it is based on some other copyrighted work. What do you have to think about? Well, while AJ is playing for a second, I think this this video shows up something I'd like to get to at the end. Oftentimes, these business antitrust cases are about money. And it's about, you know, what does each party want? And once, you know, the, the antitrust things play out a little bit, like, oh, you've been non-suited or you've been you know, asked to participate in a, in a certain way that I, you're going to get a certain treatment, then the parties know what risks are a little bit better and usually they settle. This one seems to have gotten personal. Um, uh, I'm not sure why. I've got a couple of emails and some exchanges from last week or a couple of weeks ago between the CEO of, um, of Epic and the senior vice president of uh, Apple. And he didn't respond, the, C- the senior vice president of Apple. And he, they've just knocked you know, Fortnite off, even though they've agreed to comply with all the rules and paid up the fine. 
that was in the decision. So um, this is going to probably go to the appeal, not probably said aloud as far as I can see. And part of it you can see by, this is how they kicked it off. And I'm sure this got Apple's attention when they showed this, um, this ad, um, essentially baiting Apple's um, attack on uh, Microsoft years and years and years ago. The anniversary of the platform unification directives. For years they have given us their songs, their labor, their dreams. In exchange, we have taken our tribute, our profits, our control. This power is ours and ours alone. We shall prevail. Okay, so that's how this whole thing kicked off. And we ended up having a um, antitrust complaint filed shortly thereafter. I think it was maybe even the same day. And the antitrust complaint was really about not letting Fortnite get uh, its payment system through another way. They're paying 30% for people buying things in the game. And 80% of the money coming through that app store or from people buying these little extras in all these games. So it becomes a very important um, industry for these people. So the complaints filed, and we get a pretty quick trial and opinion. The trial happened in May. Um, and, and think about it. I mean, you've got the CEO of Apple spending a significant amount of time. You have depositions, you have many lawyers. How much money does this cost just to get to this point? And then we get an opinion by Judge Rogers in September of 2021. And the judge in the Northern District of California delivered a ruling in a 185-page um, opinion. Uh, these things are not small. And the interesting thing I found is the next day, people were reporting. So obviously, the reporters were out there reading it. And you would have had a a little bit of schizophrenia when you were reading the headlines. If, if you were reading um, CNN Business, you know, huge blow to Apple, you know, the epic win. And then if you looked at um, Politico, Apple wins the case. So, you know, it's like, what's going on here? Well, it was a bit of a mixed opinion, but I always like to look how the stock market votes. These are both, um, well, the, 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 these industries are publicly traded Industries. So investors decide how much is this going to affect the future cash flows of either of these companies. And Apple took a huge hit. Um, if we look at that, uh, Bloomberg calculated it at 85 billion. I think that's a little much because um, a lot of it's, you know, me too trading. If things start going down, people follow it down. But after the ruling came out, it, it did take a precipitous drop. And at the same time, not Epic, but gaming stocks started soaring because people thought, hey, you know, it looks like this is going to loosen up. And I think with Mickey, you know, pointing out that South Korea, Japan, all of these countries are now sort of piling on on the same thing. What's Apple going to do? Have a different rule for each country? Probably not. We're probably going to see a global loosening of this lock-in payment system. This is an important 
article that came out in the middle of the summer. And we always throw around this idea that they're monopolies. Oh, the, the Facebook monopoly, the Apple monopoly. And I think this is a good question to ask. This is what the court had to figure out and didn't come to the conclusion that most of the public would have come to. It's monopoly of what? What are we talking about? And I think Judge Rogers got it correct when she said, you know what, central to all of this is what's what we call the relevant market in antitrust. Now, just for those of you who haven't taken antitrust in this country, the relevant market has two parts. And one's the product and the other part's geographic. So you have to decide what's the product and then what's the geographic market. And particularly when we're doing a, what we call a Sherman two case, I have two elements I have to show. I have to show monopoly power in a relevant market, plus then some monopolizing activity. I don't get to the monopolizing activity unless you tell me what the market is. And so we have to figure that out. And that is, becomes a big issue in this Epic case. What is the relevant market? Now, each of them had their own opinion. Epic said, well, it's Apple's own system. They essentially defined it by the iOS app store. And if you look at this, yeah, it's clearly Apple has a monopoly. They're the only one in this market. Now, Apple proposed a different market, all digital video game transactions, which would be huge. I mean, there's a lot of other ways that you can get your games other than go through the Apple store. In fact, a lot of games aren't on Apple even. Uh, more PC games than there are Apple games. So probably we're a lot of people using those other systems. The thing to always remember, though, is Epic Games as the plaintiff has the burden. You know, Apple didn't have to prove anything. They're trying to disprove what Epic says. So they have the burden. Now, the interesting thing is the judge comes out and says, you know what, neither you're right. By looking at the evidence, I think the market is something different digital, mobile gaming transactions. And the word transactions is important because that shows she's analyzing this as a two-sided market, that, that there is sitting in the middle between something happening, a transaction. They're the platform between the app, the app makers and the people buying those apps. So she says, I think that's what it is. And I assume this will be part of the appeal. So this is the reason I think Apple won. Right, because when I think of the Apple App Store at a thirty percent fee, and uh, Spotify, for example, is battling the same argument against Apple both in the U.S. and in Europe. Um, Apple gives discounts to Netflix for its apps. Netflix doesn't have to pay thirty percent; they've got a separate bilateral. Yeah, exactly. I hope you're, maybe you're I've got, I'm going to get to. No, I'll, I'll pull it up now. You can talk about because that's. I think that's an important point. The, what they so, call the reading apps. So I think. Judge Rogers got it wrong. I don't see how an Apple uh, a store with a 30% fee um, is somehow limited to this when you have sort of disputes going on in, in Spotify, which is you know, completely separate from this. You've got video distribution, you have other sets of developers. To me, this is an overly narrowing of, of the market, um, particularly when you look at some of the other international cases going on, where it's not just Apple, they're looking at the Google system as well as an app store. They're losing money. <laughs>
this was about three years ago, Apple stopped reporting iPhone sales. Um, they did that intentionally, right? Because the smart broker, smart phone market sort of grew, grew through, and then it's somewhat saturated. And the PE ratio that uh, that Wall Street often gives to product companies is much much lower than it does for reoccurring service revenue types of companies, software companies. So Microsoft or Google or Amazon they have that sort of astronomical PE ratios because of that level of recurring revenue. 30% App Store is a recurring revenue, right? It gives you that level of recurring revenue. You get that extra multiple. So by, by sufficiently narrowing the scope of, of what they defined as the market, they still get to collect their 30% on, on, on every app out there. Um, you mentioned the worldwide piece, but I thought it was- Yeah, and I, that's why I brought up that Nick is talking about what they call reader apps. These Certain people already have, like Netflix and Spotify, have this a different deal. And they call them reader apps. And the question is, will it go to total, everybody's going to be a reader app, or is it just going to be reader apps globally? Apple's already announced sometime in 2022, I guess, they're going to go all reader apps globally. But will they expand it more? And that's going to be an interesting question. It's hard to say, I'm saying some personal experience here. You pay for the right for that real estate to be that reader app. And I have experience in this in the Android system. Like, if you want to deal with Samsung and want to have those downloaded apps kind of at the first time, you're paying for that. You're paying billions of dollars to be that download, that, that pre-installed application on it. And, and so that's uh, that's another piece to this. It's like the revenue stream in terms of what Apple would be getting, um, maybe getting less in terms of a cut from the 30%. But on the other hand, they're getting a direct payment by being directly on there in the first place. So, so I think the money is yeah. a bit of a wash. Um, I just want to talk briefly about market share because you mentioned, you know, Apple only has about 20% of worldwide market share, but it has 50% of the US and it's 80% of Japan. So it's it's an uneven landscape around the world. So I, I do think we'll see sort of different rulings in different parts of the world based on that level of market. And then whether or not Apple is going to have like, you know, you know Apple Japan, and then you're going to have to have a, a geo lock to figure out you're not using the VPN to come in and right. uh, pretend you're in Japan. So. People are clever, they'll figure out ways. This is how I watch the BBC. <laughs> this, this whole area of antitrust is a real problem for um, the digital age. When we had you know, commodity products, your cars or something, it was pretty easy to figure out what the market is. And we, we looked at this idea of reasonable cross-elasticity demand. We had a, a lot of ways of doing it. And in fact, if you look at the, the horizontal merger guidelines, this is how we do it. You know, and we, we figure out the SNP. Um, but a lot of this doesn't work very well in the digital age, trying to use these techniques and make the models. And if some of the reasons for it are very clear. Now, one of the problems is this one. What's the geographic? Apple asserted a domestic market and the other half of the relevant market. And Epic said global. And on this point, actually, Epic wins the debate. Judge Rogers says it's global. Can you imagine trying to do discovery now where your market's global? I mean, your cost just went to the moon. I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're getting translations and are those translations correct? And you're trying to do discovery all over the world. This complicates it. And I think a lot of these things, it might be global unless you can kind of cut it up and stop it from being global. But she's essentially told them, this is a global market. So my discovery can go a little wider than perhaps I want it to go. But I also think that's relevant in the sense that 
Apple's worldwide market share, again, is 20%, not 50% as in the United States, which buttresses the argument. I think she figured out something. And here's what she ended up with her market share out of what she thought. And she said 55%. But you know what? This whole thing is not easy to determine what is the market and what are the boundaries of it. And I think she's right because there really wasn't much evidence on what is this global market. Um, so if, if it does come down to be much lower. One of the things that we're starting to have uh, more of an issue with is something we're starting to understand. We used to have a, what well, we still have a presumption of the market share is what gives you that power. We, we don't really care that much about the market. What we really are worried about is monopoly power. Do you have monopoly power? There's two ways you're allowed to show that according to the Supreme Court. One is to define the relevant market and then figure out the shares. That's the standard way most of us do it. It's somewhat easier. And it's even easier because the Supreme Court has allowed us to make presumptions. The Alcoa case, this is learned hand in a, learned hand in a famous case called Alcoa. And they were being charged with uh, monopolizing a certain segment of the aluminum industry back in the 40s. He comes out and he says, well, that, this percentage, 90% of the market that he defined, um, that's enough. I don't have to look any farther. They've got monopoly power. That constitutes monopoly with the sufficient power. There has been a question about th this whole exercise ever since. You can see another case a little later. This is Justice Douglas. He says, yeah, the, the existence of power, can inf you can infer this. Courts love these inferences. It makes their trials so much easier. The problem is they're just not very accurate. And they're super dependent upon what's the relevant market. If you take that Alcoa case, there were four possible or three possible markets that the judge was looking at. One of them, they only had 54% or something. Another one, they would have had 60%. And then the, the one they finally used was 90%. Well, the 50 and the 60s wouldn't have been enough. So the question becomes, is this a good measure? And there is a professor at the Harvard Business School who has been criticizing this method. Um, he's been pretty strong in his criticism. And... And I think he's right about this. Most people believe, you know, this is a pretty flawed process. It is a shortcut that we use. We can't really define these markets that well, and it's gotten even more complicated. He thinks we ought to just get rid of it. Um, his, he's advocating that, you know, economists and most people think that this is just not a good exercise. Now, he says, maybe we can come up with something better. And I think we will at some point with the new data analytics and find out, okay, do they have market power? Let's go look directly at it. This is a, a, out of an opinion from a judge in an antitrust litigation. This is a pharmaceutical case. I thought, well, pharmaceutical, at least you know what it is. It's kind of a drug. Uh, I think it should be easier to find the market. And this was his comment in that case. He says, you know, he says it's a confusing mess. And he says in, in pharmaceutical context, he says it really shows its warts. And I think that a lot of us do feel that way now. Now, I said there's another way of doing it. And you say, well, why don't they do it? And there's a little hint in Judge Rogers' discussion that she wanted to see something in this area. Epic just didn't put it forward. One way is direct evidence of anti-competitive effects. Skip the relevant market. And the presumption that this market share gives you that power, go look for evidence that you couldn't have done this but for the power. And I think that's where we're going to probably trend to in a lot of these cases. Now, let me jump ahead. Another complication that's made all of our lives 
a little more miserable. There was a case in 2018 called Ohio versus American Express. And this had to do with two-sided markets. And if you haven't heard about two-sided markets, they're, they're the thing with all these platform systems where we have an intermediary between two sides of the market. And we have to balance off what we're trying to get from one side with the other side. The Supreme Court told us in that case, when you have a two-sided market with indirect network effects, that you have to look at both sides. You can't just pick one side or the other and say, oh, look, they got a lot of market share. You've got to look at both sides of that market. And if you think about it, the Epic case is a two-sided market. And in fact, we see that in the case. And there's a fair amount of discussion in the case about that. So just so you understand what we're talking about here, we have a platform. We have the App Store, and it controls two sides of that market. People coming in, you know, if I want to get something on my iOS device, I go to the App Store. And a developer wants to get to me, a lot of them go to that App Store too. So we've got this digital matchmaker in the middle. Not much different than Uber, matching up drivers and, and, and riders. Um, not much different than a lot of people in the information age digital economy. And the court here did start, at least the, the litigants did start looking at this. They knew they had the Supreme Court case out there and they had to offer up evidence. And these were the two two-sided market evidence experts that were put up by the two sides. Both of these are very, very well-known people. Interesting, there was a lot of agreement between the two. A lot of that agreement though is that this is gonna to be tough to figure out. They came to opposite conclusions, but I think some of the, the, the statements made that were put into the uh, opinion show you that, wow, this is, this is difficult to, 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 to tease out. So it's, it's not clear that we understand the economics fully of two-sided markets. These two are, are the experts. And as you can see, the court, and, and this is from the opinion, talks about how there was agreement, but the agreement is this is complicated. This, is, this has effects that you know, have effects on effects. And for us to try to tease this out cheaply in a trial, I'm not so sure we're, we're, we're doing any of this correctly yet. The interesting thing I find about these two, they wrote a book together. This must have been an interesting time. Um, you know, if you want to see a joint interview when they were promoting the book, take a look at the new economics of multi-sided platforms. So it, it must have been interesting that, you know, you got the two writing this, this book, arguing opposite conclusions from the research they've done going into their book. So that shows you that we really don't have a full understanding of what exactly is going on here. It's a little open to interpretation. As you know, this is what happened. Um, Epic had to pay and they had to cough up the 30% that they, they were siphoning off by not having the money come through the uh, Apple system. They rejected the monopoly allegations. That's what Apple is looking at as the important part. But they did succeed in at least getting something under the California Cartwright Act that said, okay, well, you can, you, you can have that in-app link somehow. But what, what does that mean if something else that happened later on happened? Two days afterwards, Epic appealed. Um, they obviously were ready for this, I think. Appeals are easy to do, but they quickly made that decision. But also, very quickly, they also had this exchange 
these people kind of know each other a little bit. So um, Epic's CEO wrote to the senior VP, Bill Schiller, at Apple and said, hey, listen, okay, we'll, we'll pay up. We will abide by the rules, but we're still going to appeal. Tim has been a little, I don't know, you might know Tim or something, but he tends to be a little aggressive. I mean, he runs a gaming um, uh, company. What happens, though, is that Apple says no. In fact, he didn't say no directly to, uh, to, to Tim Sweeney. It was lawyer to lawyer. This is, this is the statement that's uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, we're not letting you back on until the appeal's done and completely over. Okay, that could be a long time. This could be four or five years. Fortnite looks like they won something. If your objective was to get on the platform, you're not on it. Can they do anything about that? Some people are arguing that shows market power. That's evidence for market power. Well, we'll see what that means. Tim Sweeney was not polite, I guess. And, and that's why I think this has gotten personal. That's why I think we're going to see this case go on. Oftentimes in business cases, oftentimes in business cases, they get settled before we get to a higher level court and get a decision. Now, companies don't want to go to the Supreme Court and get lawmaking. The ACLU might, constitutional issues, but we don't have businesses are making sort of you know, hard decisions. You might ask if Apple's hard decision made it made possible that you know, somebody's going to say, yeah, we're going to take it as far as we can. I don't know if, you know if that's a good decision or a bad decision. One of the things I'd like to point out that, and I think Mickey already talked about this, this isn't the only case that has the same exact problem. This market problem is in a lot of cases. So one of the other cases I'd like to talk about, and our state actually joined in on one of these, um, is FTC versus Facebook. And this is the judge in that case on a motion to dismiss. Um, he actually said, I got a problem with this market deficit thing. You know, this is just not the way I see normal cases. It's not like he says tobacco or office supplies. What FTC, it's an enforcement agency that should know, you know what they're doing, they called it personal social networking service. What is that? You know, everybody who says, oh yeah, Facebook's got a monopoly. Monopoly on what? And I think that he made a very good observation when he made this one. He said, you know, FTC, and these are you know, professional antitrust lawyers said, oh, they have a dominant share of the US social networking market in excess of 60%. They never said of what? You know, 60% of revenues, of people, time spent on it. How do you even measure what a market share is on these platforms where I'm just going on? And the FTC didn't say. They have 60% of that market. What's the measure? This is the type of problem that we see. And I don't know if that's sloppiness or, or you know, I'm not sure what you would use as the measure. Um, what would be the, the legitimate one? So he also, I think this judge was smart in saying, the relevant market's not critical. It's the market power that's critical. But you can make that market power change by what I see as the relevant market. If Epic's relevant market is correct, then Apple's got 100%. If, if it's not correct, and it's global gaming, it could be 30%. And I think that's where we've got to focus our attention. And we've got to start thinking, well, what is the right way of doing it? Now, the FTC filed an amended plan. He gave them a chance to file an amendment. And in August 19th, they filed an amended complaint. And 
And I was very interested to see, well, what market did they argue this time? They, they picked the same one. But what they did is they argued a lot about exclusionary effects. They added a lot of the stuff that um, Judge Wood was talking about. Forget about the relevant market. Try to show that they have a market power. Now, whether or not that's going to be successful, we'll see. If you look at that complaint, they excluded so many. It was almost, here's the market because these things aren't in it. And that's the way they sort of did it. So they excluded LinkedIn. They excluded Twitter, Reddit, and everything. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Netflix, WhatsApp's not in it, um, TikTok, yeah. So, you know, by, okay, it, that's a sort of an odd way to define your market by what's not in it um, without telling us, well, why aren't they in it? If you look at a number of these complaints out there, the Epic versus Apple, the complaint had essentially a single brand market. If you look at the FTC one, Utah versus Google, it's a single brand market. If we looked at Apple versus Pepper, which we Supreme Court already has gotten just on standing, it's a single brand market. And I think this is going to be another area that's going to be explored. There are some instances, and the court even says this in Epic, where a single brand can be a separate market. And whether or not this satisfies that, the court here said they didn't. It came close but they did not satisfy it. I'll just quickly point out, California has its own case. The major case of the Supreme Court is this Eastman Kodak case. And you have to do certain things and offer certain evidence. I don't wanna to go too deep into it, but I think that this will be something that will be explored because a lot of these complaints out there are single brand markets. And you know, we only have very light law in this single brand um, market area. So I think that we'll either flesh this out and have answers as to whether or not this is allowed. Um, in Kodak, it had two factors that, that allowed that to happen. And in the, the, um, the new Cal case, which is out of the, uh, the, the Ninth Circuit, they had a different idea. And it has, these are the factors, and this was the evidence. And the court's opinion was, they got three out of the four. They didn't think that they got the last one. But that was close, a little closer than I would have thought they would have gotten on that issue. I think that the, the bottom line here is that this thing's not over. Um, we don't understand the economics very well yet. We're still working on that. Making policy without economics and understanding what the implications are, I think, is, is slightly dangerous. There are seven proposed laws that are out there right now. I looked at it. None of them would solve this problem, but there are a number of laws that are proposed. I'm sure your company's following them and yeah, has been following nine, them. Actually, um, nine now. Okay. It's like currently, yeah. And and there are, and one of the things I think is interesting is that you don't see Elizabeth Warren and Ted Cruz agree on many things, but this is one of the areas where there's actually some degree of agreement. And, and that is, you know, are the rules, so we have the various rulings, are the rules really conducive? to how some of these companies are set up today. Uh, this isn't Exxon, uh, this isn't Standard Oil from, from the 1920s anymore. These are really these two-sided markets where, where, uh, where many of the products are free to consumers, where many of the products are free to consumers, 
yet there's an impact and a network effect associated with it that's, that's downstream that uh, is inhibiting competition. At least that's what a lot of the bills are being directed towards. And, and so I, I think this one's really interesting. Epic Games' sole focus is on I, iOS, ignores the market reality. Uh, if you recall Bill's slide a little earlier from you know, green to red on, on the one side of it when, when looking at um, what's monopoly power, I think it, you have to look at the economics of this. Apple's share, 55%, is on the richest 55%, right? The average, the average selling price of a phone in the US is $280. So put that in the middle, right? Apple iPhones are 1,000 or more. <laughs> so, they're far, so that 55% is far on the right side, right? So, that's, so where, the, where the money's actually being made is on the far right side. On the far left side, is all the, bear, the devices that barely do anything, right? You're not going to play an Epic game on a little flip phone. That's just not, not possible. So it's really only possible on this far end where the devices have that sort of processing power and graphics power and so on. So I do think this comes back, back down to the basic economics of it. But I, I'm still sort of baffled by how the market got defined as digital mobile gaming. As, as, as the marketplace. And by the judge as opposed to either side. Right, which was even a narrower restriction, uh, narrower uh, uh, shaping of the market than what Apple was even arguing, yeah. Yeah. since they were just saying it was video yeah. games in general. The one that threw it for me, somewhere in the 185 uh, uh, page opinion, they um, discussed other uh, platforms on which mobile gaming can be used. And they mentioned Windows Phone. And so just having... Microsoft background and knowing that Windows Phone, first of all, stopped making phones about four or five years ago and had less than 1% market share, yet it was cited in this case as part of the market. So that's that sort of, sort of lost it for me as being, where is she getting this stuff yeah. from? So it seems to me, and, and, and this might be what's going on here, the judge could have non-suited them for not, they had the burden, Epic had the burden, and she just said, you failed. Instead, she comes in and offers her own and then if you look at that at 185 pages, a lot of it's just the facts. She's giving the appellate court a lot of stuff that they can look at because they can't do another trial, but everything in that opinion is possible to be examined. So it looks to me as that she knows this is going someplace. Yeah. Um, and she's given them as much as she can as to what the findings are. Oh. I, I so we're, we're not talking about this case, but there was an FTC Qualcomm case by Judge Coe in the Northern District of California that had a very favorable re, uh, uh, ruling on Apple side that ended up getting turned over 9-0 in the, in the Ninth Circuit. I wouldn't be shocked if this ends up in a, in a similar way where, uh, where, where the appellate level will take a much harsher look at, at what's going on here. But that will take years to happen. And in that amount of time, you know, Apple will continue its 30% uh, 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 impact in terms of its, if, in terms of its uh, share of, uh, of revenues on the App Store, as well as not really complying. And by the way, this sort of tit for tat, not complying happens all the time um, between, between these companies when there's little, when, when, when your phones are buggy, are when your computers are buggy and things aren't synchronizing properly. That's not always a quirk. Sometimes that's intentional. And it is a way of tweaking one company to another company. It's happened for years and will continue to happen. Um, you mentioned earlier too, the distraction within Apple in terms of Tim Cook having to spend days on, on the stand. I think it's important to note um, Noreen Kroll, who's the head of litigation at Apple, 
um, was let go the day after the trial ended. And, um, and so, so, you know, one of the things Apple encourages their internal legal teams is to make law, is, is to take some risks and make some law in different areas. But I think that has its limit. And in Apple's case in this one, I think the stakes were just so high. Um, and the impact now it's having in terms of where this appellate court would land, what's happening in different countries around the world, this is probably something Apple should have settled privately, much the same way they did with Netflix, right? If Netflix, they cut a special deal and they're not getting that 30% cut. I'm, I'm kind of confused as to why they didn't do that with Epic here and just pay Epic Do you think it's off. because, I mean, it seems to me Epic started this on a public in your face So did way. Netflix, so did Spotify. Okay, I, but I, this was really and, like- And, and know, Apple has is... ample money. So I don't understand why they didn't just pay this. I think it was a strategic decision where Noreen wanted to now, make role. There's something more going on. Well, I think, again, I think that there's areas where they want to actually make law. And, okay. and I think they were hoping to preserve their 30% uh, share in, in making that law here, and that that it may end up being uh, that may end up being uh, backfiring. Yeah, at least part of it's gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see how much long. Anybody have any questions? Oh, we got a gamer back there. Is that AJ? <laughs> Nicholas Baker is on the webinar. He asks: Is the market share ever looked at not just as what the company of interest has acquired, but the number of competitors in the remaining market? For example, Apple owns fifty five percent of the market, and the remaining forty five percent is owned by twenty different companies. To me, other, those other companies are too small to be able to truly compete with Apple, and a monopoly uh, could be suggested. If, however, Apple owns 55% and one other company owns 45%, a competition remains and no monopoly exists. Yeah, well, the other 45% is, is Google Android, right? Yes, it may be Samsung devices and a bunch of other devices, but it's really, there's two operating systems out there. And in terms of an App Store perspective, there are two. There's the Google App Store and then the, the, the Apple App Store. So that's one's 55, one's 45 in this country. Worldwide, again, it's 80-20, 80, 80 Android, 20 Apple. And, and it's going to be a little bit different um, on a per country basis, sort of based on that price point and the price sensitivity that um, uh, different constituencies will have. Um, I don't know if you want to answer the question more directly. Well, yeah, I, I think this whole, the, the whole problem is we have a lot of risks and uncertainties and things that could happen, you know, futures, that could and could not be. And I always liked this five forces of competition model that Mike Porter put out, even before he had two-sided markets. This is just a one-sided market analysis and look how complicated we probably should be. We, we, we always just look at the industry being analyzed, you know, with the relevant market and we kind of stop there. Now we do look at substitute products and services as potential entrants or as cross elasticity man. If you start acting like a monopolist and raising the price, are these people going to start going someplace else? Um, then we keep defining the market. But I think you've got to look at buyers and suppliers now. I mean, what happens if you're selling to Walmart? Walmart's going to temper whatever you're trying to do in there. I don't care if you've got a monopoly, you're selling to Walmart. They're going to be resisting that pretty well because they got a monopsony. And if your supplier has monopoly power, you're going to actually have a tempering effect there. What we're looking for is you have market power in that number one industry. I've got to at least look at these four others to get a handle on it. And I don't think we're, we're doing as much of that as we probably should. Now, that makes a really expensive case. You know, if we're suddenly looking at, you got to do all of that. Is this, is this possible even that private litigants are going to think this is worthwhile? 
So I have a question for you, Bill, which is um, the difference between a vertically integrated company and a horizontal one as it applies to- Or this. both. <laughs> or both. So in Apple is vertically integrated, right? They, they sort of make everything. It's their own app store. They're, they don't let, it's a walled garden. They don't let anybody into their, into their ecosystem. Um, just last week, in fact, out of their ecosystem. sorry, out of their ecosystem, <laughs> yeah, or, or yeah. yeah, once you're in, you're in. once you're in, you're in, right? Um, in fact, last week, uh, the Europeans um, are trying to set a standard on connectors and, ma- and mandating it being USB-C. The first company to complain was Apple because they're like, "Oh, you're going to stop innovation in the in the con- in the in the physical connection market, and it's really going to be about." And they're the ones that have been driving it. We, you know, we don't have VGA. <laughs> things on the side anymore. We have these little tiny things. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like Google is a horizontal, right? It's, it's, yeah. it allows lots of, as the point pointed out, 45% is an Android operating system, but lots of different hardware manufacturers can, can come in and try to compete on that. Do you think there'll be any different analysis as we move forward? Facebook is vertical. Everything that happens in Facebook's world, you either choose to use it or not to use it. Um, do you think there'll be a difference? Yeah, in how I, I think analyzed? this idea of, in fact, this whole idea of the closed ecosystem came up in the opinion, as, as you remember. And I think that that is, is that a legitimate business strategy? And if you're doing that, I need to be allowed to make it a closed system in some ways. Um, at what point do you have to run into different rules? I thought some of the more interesting parts fit with the privacy cybersecurity arguments that Apple was making that we need to have this little closed world so that you have more secure apps. You know, if we just threw it open to anybody selling anything, um, your phone wouldn't work half the time. So they're vetting and making sure that they have to go through the gate to get in. And that costs money. And they're just taking a toll. If you want to get into my garden, pay the toll. Is that a legitimate business model? Is privacy going to be worse or better with a system if we say, oh, it's, you have to throw it open to everybody. You know, anybody can get in. You know, but is 30% the right number for that? And that, right. I think that's or, the yeah, question. System, is, you know, like, what is the right, system. and should the, should the government, um, should the courts have a role in determining what is the right profit margin that one should be getting here? So one of the things during this trial is um, Microsoft cut its app store, which is largely on Xbox and gaming, from 30% to 12% as a, as a dig, right? They're not making much money on here anyway, but let's throw that data point out there saying, hey, you can make this down to 12 and 12 is plenty to vet and make sure that the apps and, and so on are secure. So should the courts have a role in determining what profit margin? Well, Apple this was always a problem I've had is um, industrial organization economics and the old classical model said that, oh, your marginal revenues, your marginal costs should cross at some point, And then that should be what your profits are. And anything about that's super competitive. Well, I don't think that plays out when something has huge fixed costs and almost zero marginal costs. I mean, what, what, what does it cost to have this, the next person sign up and buy another widget on the app store right. to Apple? That costs nothing. Well, if, if anything, every person that it adds comes to that app store, it actually makes it cheaper for Apple. Which is why so, um, software has always had yeah. these phenomenal PE ratios, right? Like I, I, I know um, uh, on Microsoft products, the, the profit margin is, is over 85% um, because of, for that same thing. Yeah. The scale, when, you know, the all cost the costs are how one many time, millions? then it scales on, on, on all the buyers. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think economists take this into account, but should I take into account, so classical economics if you do the marginal costs, you should include a percentage of the full costs. Well, I have a lot of failed products. Do I put those 
a percentage of those in that marginal cost? Because you know companies make a lot of mistakes, as right. Microsoft has found it, very expensive right. mistakes. Yeah. Um, do those go in? Um, the drug know, companies in particular. Right. Yeah, I mean, so you know, it, it, it's easy to say if I have, and, and the models you learn in, in, in college and so on, they'd have one product. Yeah, okay, you put all the, the full costs back into them. How much of the, this cost of this case gets applied to other products in the Apple world? Or do we all assign all those costs to this? Right. Well, then that 30% might not be paying for this at all. Exactly. You know, so. We have, may have time for one or two more questions if folks have any. Two more from the webinar. Abraham Weber, what are the larger ramifications for the non-gaming market with this opinion? Could this broaden to other two-sided markets like credit card merchants, Salesforce marketplace, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I can talk to this a little bit. I, I did talk to um, a former boss of mine who's a general counsel of Spotify after this case went out, and he was just sort of livid. He, he just could not believe that the court landed where it did in defining the market so narrowly and therefore cutting Spotify out of, uh, of any sort of resolution here. Um, Spotify is pursuing this more in Europe where it'll, it's deemed to be a bit more friendly towards the Spotify's of the world than, than the U.S., um, but he fully expects there to be uh, an, an appeal level here. Yeah, and I think that sometimes we don't see that companies evolve. I mean, is LinkedIn now essentially a communication system? When it first started, you know, I wouldn't use that for emails, but now that's a communication with some of my friends from other business things, or that's where they are. You know, I'm not on Facebook, but I, I, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I think it's Spotify. Some people, you know, while we're sharing the music, the next thing they know, there's sort of, it becomes a social network of some sort. Well, the problem with all these markets, they're not so easily defined. They're, they're, like if we said branded cola is a market, some of you would go, well, I don't drink branded cola. And in fact, if it goes up two cents, I'm buying something else. Some of you would, if Coke goes up a dollar, you're still buying Coke. So, you know, that's the problem with all these markets. We've got lots of different people in them. And then we're trying to call it, well, here it is. You know, it's, it's right. And, and, you know, where I'm drawn on the Apple side of the argument is to take this to the physical world, right? If you have a product on the shelf at, say, Walmart, you know, should, should the company with the product be allowed to say what profit margin Walmart should get on that product, right? That's sort of the equivalent of what, of what Epic is arguing here is like, I, I should get more of a share. The fact that it's on a Walmart shelf and Apple saying, it doesn't have to be on a Walmart shelf. You can go to whatever other store and put it on your shelves there. I mean, oh, oh no, no, go for it. I should refer to the dean, of course. Um, <laughs> okay, the one thing I think that we will need to explore that Europeans seem to like a little bit more is this idea of essential facility. Now, have any of these things become essential facility? And should that be something that's recognized? Where then you have to give me access in some way. Um, perhaps, you know, do something and act a little differently. We're not there in this country, but the Europeans seem to be pushing a little Yeah, but I can go back to economics there, right? There's a lot of home court advantage here. First of all, there are like no European companies left. <laughs> okay. So they're, they're regulating U.S. companies with this and trying to- So the essential facilities- re Revenue associated with it, right? Northern District of California, very, you know, Cupertino's backyard, very favorable ruling for, 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 what's, in, uh, for, for, for what's good for there. Same as what Judge Coe's decision was in, in, in FTC Qualcomm. So I think- a lot of that plays out from. So what happens when Europe are. says, "Oh, it's a central facility; you got to let us in"? Are we just going to end up with the U.S. internet, and that's it? Yeah. So it's flipping to the patent side, some of the biggest patent holders in the in the wireless space tend to be companies like Nokia and Ericsson, and and they and Europe 
European courts are very friendly towards strong patent rights associated with those sorts of companies. So I do think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with, with, with the home court advantage and, and, and domestic, you know, domestic companies within, within its rulings. So what do you think? Should we let the Dean ask a question here? I think it's important. <laughs> Probably. I promise it's a short one. I just want to say, we are so lucky to have you guys talking about this. It's fascinating. And I just was wondering in sort of a lightning round question, what, what, what's your prediction? What do you think is going to happen sort of long-term? Long-term. I do think that we will get some more insights from the appellate court. I doubt it'll get to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure they're ready for this yet. Um, but I, I do think we, you know, we, our system is an inductive system that works from the bottom up. Um, we need a lot of court decisions for, you know, this, and people try out ideas and say, okay, this works, doesn't work. I think they're going to look a little harder at the market. You think it'll go the way of the Qualcomm case? I'm not sure a, a, a nine zip is where <laughs> it's going to go. Um, I think this has a little more pieces to it. I, yeah, I, I think antitrust case move at, at a glacial pace. The, the, the antitrust investigations of Microsoft in the 90s and 2000s took 15, 20 years for it to resolve. And so in that amount of time, you know, market dominance sort of continues and, and, and players continue to do what they do. That's a win, right? The fact that you're spending, you know, a billion a year in court fees doesn't matter. It's a win because you get to keep doing what you're doing for the next 10 or 15 years. Um, but does so, it temper it? I mean, that's the question. Like people said that IBM got tempered a bit. That's why they let Microsoft get in on right. the, the PCs because yeah. they were worried about the investigations and their dominance in computers. And, and that's always been the case, right? So, I mean, in, in Apple's, uh, just before the iPhone, you know, Apple, Microsoft was loaning money to Apple to keep it alive because <laughs> they needed another operating system that, that was out there in the same way that IBM let uh, Microsoft in the door. I've heard from Google privately saying, if you really want to hurt Google, shut Bing down. Because then it's, you have no competition left in the Google search and then Google will, 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 will get you know, some of the same. Then it will uh, be a single brand market. <laughs> exactly. So, so I think there's always this level of keeping things afloat to a degree um, to show that there is some, some, com some competitive forces still out there. But there has been some change by competition activity. I mean, Apple has had to change some of their activities. Right. And actually, before they're, this they're ruling, they, 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 they came out voluntarily and said that they will allow for these sorts of in-app purchases, which is another reason why I think you know, uh, Apple sort of saw the writing on the wall and, and, and decided to go ahead and do this just prior to the decision. So, so I think they won this, this case really through the market definition. Apple gets, gets yeah. to keep doing what they're doing. And it's hard for me to see how all this legislation that's running around would solve this market problem. You can't change the economics just because you pass a law. Um, and I think we've got to understand the economics better. Right. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.